Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Andy Staples on 3. Happy Sunday night. Oh, things are a-changing. We talked about it on Friday if you were popping on the on-demand videos on Friday, but we have not had a show since the Big Ten and SEC said, hold on, everybody, we're taking the wheel. We got to talk about this. Jesse Simonton, on three national columnist. There's a lot to digest, Jesse, including a, a column just written by Ross Dellinger of Yahoo Sports where he talks about how the Big Ten and the SEC kind of forming their advisory group which feels like a takeover uh also may affect the college football playoff going forward there is a lot to chew on with this jesse so let's let's go back to friday afternoon when the big 10 and the sec release a joint statement saying tony Petiti and greg sankey will form an advisory group of two that will have no official power but probably has the power to change everything I mean, Greg Sankey's long sat in the catbird seat of these conversations. And I think that actually we can spin that off into an interesting avenue as we kind of dive into this about what that means and kind of his position. But he he and Tony Petiti are the two power players in college athletics right now. And you wrote the column that I think uh, kind of pinpointed why this makes sense and, and specifically why what's different now you know, if this was Kevin Warren, these two guys aren't going to form this pseudo "quote unquote" alliance. Um, th- th- you know, that, can't use that the A word. That they should have, Andy. They should have used the A word because it would have <laughs> been funny if they had leaned into it. It would have actually been even funnier. <laughs> no, but, this but, time but, it's actually an alliance. <laughs> yeah, but years ago, Kevin Warren and Sankey were were never going to sit down and and you know play Littlefinger and uh, you know. Um, what's his name, the, the the other guy on Game of Thrones, kind of formed this interesting union. Petiti and Sankey Peter Dinklage? Will and Tyrion no, Lannister? Oh, yeah, Tyr- <laughs> Tyrion's a good one. No, I'm blanking on Varys. Varys. Varys oh, yes, Varys, the, the master of whispers. Yes. Yes, yes. You weren't going to have the, those two guys come together. Now you do have Petiti and Sankey. Um and it certainly seems like this is this is them setting the table. Whether they claim this organization or this little pact is going to actually have power, it seems to be setting the table that the two biggest power players from the two biggest power conferences are going to dictate what the future of college athletics ultimately look like. And it is going to have power because they have the ones everybody watches. I mean, Tony Altimore on, on Twitter – did a really interesting study where he looked at the ratings for the last, I, th- I want to say 10 years and found out that that like 75% of the audience is 19 teams and it's mostly big 10 and sec teams. So they're going to be able to, to dictate terms to these guys because none of the other people can function or make the kind of money they make now 
without the teams of the Big Ten and the SEC. Yeah, and I, you know, you know what else is kind of interesting about this. And again, I, I think what's notable about Sankey is that, you know, he has kind of talked, I think, out of both sides of his mouth. And you kind of, again, I, I think, you know, noted this in your column. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's said he wants to focus on kind of the big realities. He told Ross Dellinger, you brought him up. He had a, you know, he was quoted in a column, I think, on Saturday or Friday talking about wanting to focus on the big realities of the sport and instead of kind of the, the little individual bickering with the translation, NIL leave my teams alone NCAA. Right. Well, right. But, but the irony is, is that it was just a year ago that Sankey along with every other commissioner in college football was asking the NCAA to fix NIL and to look into possible NIL penalties so again, yeah. there has been a little both sides, but that doesn't mean these guys can't change your mind. And I do think that's where Sankey has ultimately come down on, where he thinks uh, the broader structure, the infrastructure, the structure of what college sports looks like has to change. And he's correct in that. So Todd in the chat, that's what the NCAA wants them to do, hence the letter from the NCAA president suggesting they form a new subdivision. They want to wash their hands of it and put it on the schools. That's not true, Todd. Like the NCAA, the leaders of the NCAA don't want the Big Ten and the SEC to leave because then there's no more money for the NCAA. Like the, the people in charge of the NCAA have to go find new jobs at that point because it becomes a much different organization, a much smaller organization. And it, it really, I mean, it becomes an event management group at that point. And the events are not that exciting. Like if you lose the Big Ten and the SEC, you also lose a lot of the the NCAA basketball tournament, which is very valuable. It funds the entire NCAA. So you can't, they're not trying to push them out. Trust me. <laughs> they don't want to do that because that would just effectively eliminate their big fat salaries. So this is, this is what I'm wondering, Jesse, is, is what is, what do you think Greg Sankey and Tony Petiti think their end game is right now? Because I don't, I don't know if they know what it is, but I wonder if I wonder what they think it is. Well, I hope it's not asking for more congressional or governmental oversight, which Sankey had. That has been something that Sankey has, you know, kind of gotten behind multiple times uh, in recent years. I mean, you know, he's fought hard for Congress to pass a law to kind of turn back the clock on some of these NIL uh, laws and and you know to really have the government kind of, uh, again, oversee the future of college sports. I don't think that should be, at least my opinion, I don't think that should be the way, you know, they, they should try to find a solution here. I would argue, and I'll see what you think on this, I would argue that they need to convince their own member institutions, i.e. the schools, that, hey, if we want to actually solve and get around some of these issues, let's come up with a collective bargaining agreement let's come up with a model where the players will be contracted employees they mm -hmm. can then still have make nil as either whether it's high school or college students independent of that i.e as if like you're an olympian athlete and you wanted to go get a deal with kellogg's right uh, or you're lebron or and you have your, your sprite yeah. deal that's independent of your lakers salary yes exactly exactly so i would think that these commissioners need to 
use their power to sway their member institutions that, hey, let's come up with some sort of model where our co- your coaches want it. The coaches want structure. The coaches right. want they, governance. They don't they care if they're rails. paid, not paid. Like they just want right. some rules. Yeah. They want rules. So let's come up with a with a foundational system where this is a, as Matt Rule told me, Andy. You know, it this is we are basically are a professionalized sport with a non-professionalized structure. Professionalize the sport. It's okay if it's going to be minor league football. People will get used to it. They will still watch the games. I People won't even you. get used to it. They'll just watch it because they want to see the logos on the helmets and they want to see the best players. Exactly. And they'll still get exactly. both. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But but my point is, is that people change their minds all the time. It was 2015 that Roger Goodell was saying that we'll never have gambling in the NFL right. because it was going to break the sport. And now we're having the damn Super Bowl in Las Vegas. <laughs> You know, exactly. Less than a decade later. So people will change their minds. But I think, don't you think that's where Sankey and Petiti have to get behind? They need to convince their schools that this is in the best interest for everyone. And I think they're, I think it's interesting because the Big Ten has been ahead of the SEC in terms of individual schools talking about that. Because you've had Big Ten schools mention revenue sharing going back a couple of years now. You have not heard it as much in the SEC, but it has certainly been discussed quietly in the SEC by, by people who are influential, by athletic directors. So it's not like this has not been discussed. And, and, and the thing about Greg Sankey that I will point out, what he said, it's, it's very similar to, to what we would see from Nick Saban. We remember Nick Saban would complain about something publicly, but behind the scenes was working to just adjust to it however he needed to adjust to it. Right. That is Greg Sankey. Complaining publicly, whining to Congress. They were all whining to Congress. But I think behind the scenes, gaming out other scenarios. And I think this is a, this is an admission that, okay, may not be getting what we want from Congress. Clearly, the NCAA and the, the other schools are not going to help us get there. So we're going to have to drag everybody there. I think that's what they're saying. I. I- and that, that should be the avenue they take. And, I and you know, I again, I think some folks are going to be nervous about, oh, is this is, – are we destined to go to, you know, this these two conference Super League and whatever. I actually think if Petiti and Sankey can convince all these member institutions to get behind some sort of, you know, again, model where the players are compensated as employees and there is a CBA uh, and, you know, you have some sort of union, I, I do think – you know, the top schools in the ACC, you would have almost everybody in the quote unquote, what, what did you rename them? The big, we're calling the core four. Uh, that one, that four. one, the, the poll core four is Co- your winner. All right. Core four. So the big and rich is going to lead the way. Yes. That's, correct. Know, SEC and, and big 10. And then the core four, I think the rest of the core four would get behind it because the one issue that people never bring up with the whole super league is that, you're going to have a lot of schools taking losses and, you know, a lot of losses mm-hmm. and they don't want to have all those losses. And so the more team, if you can kind of keep it with as many teams that are still in this pool as you have right now, the Kentuckys and, and, you know, Dukes of the world can still make bowl games and win you know, eight games a year where their fans at least feel like, Hey, we got our money's worth, 
you lose eight, nine games a year, suddenly you don't feel that way. Dion in the chat. NCAA refuses to get its act together. We have a lot to clean up, so hopefully the two conferences won't further ruin football than it already is. It's not ruined. I'm sick of this. Honestly. Stop it, people. We see the ratings. You like it better now. Like, stop pretending we're stupid. Stop pretending that you're stupid. You like this better. We, you may say you don't, but your actions suggest you do. So just stop it. Now, if they get their act together, there will not be unlimited free agency. But there will still be movement. Yeah, Dion, he says, I hate it, STFU. Dion, it's 8.12 p.m. Eastern time on a Sunday night. You're watching a YouTube show about college football. I hate to break it to you. You freaking love college football. So and good for you. It's the best sport in America. And thanks for watching, by the way. Yeah. Dion, I'm like 62 and, and it's ruined. Yeah. Okay, Boomer. How'd you find the YouTube show? Like, how'd you figure out how to work the YouTube stream? You, you love know, it. You know, Dion's on all the message boards getting hyped about Dylan Rayle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You love it. Okay. Back to the, back to the drawing board here. Because we do have to figure out what they're going to do. And the, the thing that I find interesting, Jesse, is there's so many different ways to play at this. Ross, I mentioned Ross just had a story about the college football playoff. Like, if they really want to flex, they just can just mess with the college football playoff structure, which, by the way, is not set post-2025. If they really wanted to do something drastically soon, they could do that. And by the way, I believe it's the only, as you said, the NCAA is going to be really good at putting on uh, events no one really watches. That's also the only championship that the NCAA has no control over, right? Correct. Correct. <laughs> but but yeah. apparently the Pac-2 has control. <laughs> That's the best part. Like right now, the holdup on the format for what will be the college football playoff this coming season is that Kirk Schultz, the president of Washington state is, will not give the two packs vote that remember it's not the PAC 12 anymore. It's the two pack will not give the two packs vote to give the unanimous vote so they can approve the format until they are guaranteed voting rights past 2025, which of course nobody wants to give them because right now they've only got two schools. Two schools, but they got two, two, two proud institutions, Andy, that are fighting a good fight. They're, they're, they're trying to keep West Coast football alive and well. Well, I think they could, they could form a fine conference there. If they merge with the Mountain West, that could be a fun football conference. But in terms of the college football playoff, in terms of big-time college football, that's not the same thing. Like, it, And if you're, if you're the Big Ten and the SEC, you're looking at this going – Look at this crap. This is what we have to deal with. This is why we have to start making the decisions. Yeah, and, and Sankey's looking at, you know, the, the, the back and forth that Tennessee is now, you know, embroiled in with the NCAA. And, and they, you know, both sides kind of shot their shot again this weekend. Um, Saturday, the NCAA responded. Sunday, today. You know, the, the AGs uh, right. in Tennessee and Virginia had their 
response and and it's just the, the amount of tone deafness um from the ncaa is just insane but as i've said annie on on multiple radio shows uh this week this past week you know the irony is in all this is that it there are no they're all bad actors there's no good actors the ncaa is the easy punching bag and and, and it's clearly right. the big bad villain because they either, I mean, you see what they say on Saturday, and it's just so nonsensical that it, it's like. Well, we can talk about like that because this, this all has to do with that, too. Like, all of this right, is exactly. interconnected. So, oh, exactly. what Jesse's talking about is, is the case where the Tennessee and Virginia AGs have sued the NCAA basically on behalf of the University of Tennessee because the University of Tennessee is being investigated for NIL stuff. And so they are trying to invalidate the NIL rules. There's a hearing on February 13th where if a judge were to grant a temporary restraining order, the NIL rules would be basically invalidated. And so the NCAA issued its response. Now, I did think they made one good point. You know, I don't always praise the NCAA, but I'll say they made one good point. You know, the Tennessee state law also prohibits inducing recruits with right. NIL deals. They did point that out. Like, they did know like that. your AG doesn't that. seem to notice his own state law. But that said, that said, the the rest of it was not not great because they went with the competitive equity argument, which they have no data to back up. And unfortunately, the there's a it's small sample size, but there is some data to back up that since NIL and the transfer rules have changed, things have gotten more competitive. Yeah, I mean, it, to me, it kind of it read off like a complete misunderstanding about how recruiting works. Yes, <laughs> it's like oh, newsflash: prospects like going to better schools with nicer facilities and a greater, you know, infrastructure and better coaches. Like that is that yes, that's an inducement, but that is also just like naturally how recruiting has worked since it's ever started. I mean. I can't wait till the folks in you know that work in Indianapolis and the NCAA realize that you know five star hotels are nicer than uh, a Motel Six or that flying first class comes with perks. I mean, these are it was like newsflash one hundred and one. The 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 most interesting thing I thought that came out of the response today from the Tennessee folks uh, or the Tennessee AG was basically acknowledging the reality that the only reason there's confusion about these rules, you know, in terms of the governing market um, and what isn't and isn't isn't allowed for these collegiate athletes uh, is because the NCAA is constantly changing, you know, the definition of these incoherent rules. They keep moving the goalposts. And that, again, is why we are now seeing Sankey, again, you said this, it's it's all tied together. And that's why Sankey and Petiti are coming together yep. to figure out how can we best, you know, fix this problem, which is yeah. these moving goalposts. So Dion back in the chat says, right now there are no rules and anything goes. Nebraska has a half billion dollars to build a new end zone. What if Nebraska spends $500 million on buying an Addy? Well, guess what? That would make the sport more interesting because Nebraska stinks right now. So if Nebraska stopped stinking, that would be a team that is not currently capable of competing, becoming able to compete, which would be interesting. Again, people keep bringing up examples of things that are not actually bad. That also isn't that they also could choose 
to do that. Right. Like in his. Well, they can't what, now, what but they could. They, they could a week from Tuesday if the TRO gets granted. Well, no, they could spend however much money they want on NIL. They, if they wanted to spend $500 million, they could. Well, they couldn't yet. They'd have to raise it, but you're right. You're, you're exactly yeah. right. And that, that the other part of that that nobody understands is there's only a finite amount of money. Like Right. And not everybody wants to give to NIL. That's, it. That's my other argument against all this. And this isn't what's being argued by anybody in the court system right now. But this is, I guarantee you, something Greg Sankey and Tony Petiti are thinking of. And that is, oh, Dion asks, is that fair to the other teams? Yes, it's fair to the other teams because they could do the same thing. Also, and college football What if they don't have the money? Fair. Tough. Have a bake sale. All right. Also, but, college but Greg, football's never been fair. Right. There has exactly. Been, there has been, there's been an inequity. He, he, yeah. He's arguing in, on behalf of, of a Nebraska program that literally, you know, I don't know how you want to say that 30 years ago was able to get, you know, 50 walk-ons right, and have them, you know, under other scholarship things that, that that's how they ended up building. Well, the Nebraska people program. say that those County scholarships didn't exist. So that's, they, they say that's. Oh, a okay. Lot too. So, okay. uh, no, but I, here's, here's what I think Greg Sankey and Tony Petiti probably are thinking of because they're getting this from their schools. The, the current way of funding NIL, the current way of funding player compensation I'm going to stop calling it NIL because that's not what it is. It's player compensation. But the current the current way of funding it is you're begging your fans for it. And then you're telling them they don't want to win if they don't want to give you money to do that. Like, you should be budgeting for that yourself. Oh, yeah. That's gross. Yeah. So yeah, it's that, bothers, it's that bothers me. I feel bad for the fans in that sense. And I'm sure that the Greg Sankeys and the Tony Petitis of the world are getting it from the ADs on the ground saying, listen, we cannot keep doing this to our fans because it's this is turning them off. This is making them mad. And it would make me furious as a fan to hear the coach say, well, you don't care enough about winning if you don't give me some money to buy a tight end. Yeah. Like, no, I mean, I, I give you money. Exactly. Did you see? I mean, I, I thought uh, Dan Wolken uh, phrased it really well in a column last week where he was like, it's the only sport or it's a sport now that has come to. What if you said, yo, Patrick Mahomes, you told Chiefs fans, if you don't give us X amount of dollars for Patrick Mahomes, he's going to go play for the Denver Broncos tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's absurd. So, and that's what right. college football is right now. And the, so rule, and the rules need to change to allow the schools to pay that and, and fund it either out of their TV money or their TV money and donations. But it does, it doesn't need to be these two separate pots. It needs to be something that's tied in with the schools. And I think that's what they're going to go for. You know, I, I really don't think that Sankey and Petiti got together to go lobby Congress some more. I think they, they realize that's probably a fool's errand. I think they're probably going to try to create a system that works for them which may not work for everyone else. Maybe, uh, maybe maybe it won't work for everyone else, but I do think yeah. there will be plenty of other schools outside of the big and rich that, that would jump on board. Well, the ACC and the Big 12 for sure. So Ferris in the chat, money talk, let's say Andy is a billionaire. All right, sweet. Could he get a Mac school to turn into the Gonzaga of college football? There's a spot for an undefeated Mac team to get into the field of 12 every year. All right, so 
Do you think I could become like Toledo sugar daddy? Let's, we got to call Toledo AD Brian Blair and be like, Brian, I, I'm, I'm hooking you a hundred million a year every year. Or I'll just, I, not a hundred million. Let's, what do I get? What, what are we shaving off in interest from a billion dollars every year? Like if I just sit it in, in an account or if I had like a medium growth mutual fund, like am I shaving off 30 million a year for Toledo to just go buy some, buy a championship? I think, I think you could, I think you could afford a little uh, somewhere around 50 million. Okay. All I right. think you'd probably have to tell Jason, Jason Candle, hey, maybe you want to be an offensive coordinator somewhere. We will get to Jason have, Candle in a minute because we I'm do have some have actual to, football to talk about. I'm going to have to hire a, a big time coach if I'm going to be winning the MAC, you know, undefeated every year. Listen, listen, Jason Candle's been up for all those jobs. It may be that he just needs the right sugar daddy. But okay. So, okay, let's, let's spin this forward. Five years from now, what has the the, the alliance? I almost said alliance. What has the partnership between the Big Ten and the the SEC? Yeah. What what has the partnership between the the Big Ten and the SEC wrought? Will it be a super league? Will it be a a different NCAA that has a kind of subdivision at the top where there are rules, but there are also contracts and there are also, there's also maybe a CBA? Within five years, we, yes, we're barreling towards that. That's amazing. But I will say, so there's a, there's a case we've mentioned it a few times on the show. And I've said this before. I, I tend to stay away from this on the show because I think it makes a lot of people's eyes glaze over. But the reason we're talking about this now is because it is so big and so monumental, big and rich. Um, but the, the House versus the NCAA case, which is basically former athletes sued the NCAA saying, hey, if you hadn't been breaking the, the Sherman Act before and, and had allowed us to get NIL payments, you would we, we would have made this over our careers. The settlement to that is in is potentially in the billions of dollars. The, the class has been certified. Like the NCAA says this is an extinction level event. They have to come up with a new system to satisfy that case first. Like to keep people from being able to do that over and over again and just cash in on them. Well, I, I and how many times can the I mean the NCAA just clearly likes get you know they whether it's Charlie Brown with a football, I mean they like going into these court cases and just losing every time. As if the Alston 901 wasn't bad enough. Well they they don't have any know. any valid arguments and and they know it. So at this point they're barely even trying. Now we'll see with that the Tennessee and Virginia one because they don't have to grant the restraining order. They could just say, we'll leave the rules as is, and then we'll talk talk it through during the actual case. So that'll be fine if they want to do that. Or they could change everything next Tuesday. Like, Yeah, but I was going to say, but they, they, could, they could lose just like they lost to West Virginia with the transfer case. In the transfer and rules, then, which, which yeah. I keep pointing out, like that second transfer having to sit out a year after the second transfer – Feels like a fairly reasonable rule to me. Like that doesn't, doesn't feel totally unreasonable. You gave somebody a free transfer. There's only four years to play. Like it's okay, but it lasted maybe two hours in court. It got destroyed. And the coaches, I will say, talking to a bunch of coaches at the convention, 
they hate that they hate that more than almost anything and <laughs> and some hate it for various reasons obviously selfish reasons for roster management but then there's others you know one very prominent coach who shall not be named here because he, he, he didn't say it on the record but he, he really was you know concerned and talk about talked about you know what these multiple transfers are going to do for these kids is you know academic standing and how many guys ultimately from now until you know they kind of figure out a solution to, to what this whole system is actually going to look like end up graduating with no degrees and are you know 28 years old have been to three or four universities and, and have really nothing to stand on okay poor Dion in the chat I'm not sure Dion actually watches college football so it's going to be boring if the five richest schools in America win the natty every year that's crap what you think what's been happening the last 15 years before nil or after nil nil has not changed who's winning the national championship oh i don't know that michigan could have won it before nil michigan wasn't recruiting like ohio state or alabama i think they they needed ohio state and alabama to to, to lose a few players like if alabama is the alabama of of 2017 ish if they're recruiting like that, you think they lose to Michigan this year? Uh, I, I mean, but couldn't it? Can it just be as, as simple as that they didn't have a, a you know rock star quarterback? Uh, if if Alabama could snap the ball, they would have beaten Michigan this year. But that's another story. Yeah. But that's well, also an NIL thing and a transfer portal thing, because before they would have had somebody that they could put in to snap. And they didn't. <laughs> was... I think this. I think I. I. You, you got me thinking because it's like, did Michigan win? Because they didn't win. Did they? They didn't win in spite of NIL, but I don't know if they won because of it. Chris Callahan in the chat. No, because some of those Georgia players would be at Bama. Probably true. Probably true. All right, Jesse. Let's let's shift to football. We, we, we're going to have time to talk about this over the next few weeks. This is not going away. This is this is going to be something that we're talking about for the next two years, three years, four years. But when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We got we got to talk about some football. You had a column on Friday because the really interesting situation. We 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 talked about a little bit on the show Thursday night. So Chip Kelly, it was reported by Ian Rappaport of the of the NFL Network that Chip Kelly had interviewed twice for the Raiders offensive coordinator job. There was talk that maybe he was uh, right, still open, and, and there's a reason why. There was talk Thursday night that Chip also might be a candidate for the Commanders OC job, but at the, at the time on Thursday night, Cliff Kingsbury was about to take the Raiders job. And then on Saturday, he said, nope, not taking the Raiders job. Now he might take the commander's job. So the Raiders job is open again. Chip Kelly, Jesse, you remember late in the season. So the week of the USC game, UCLA was coming off a loss. And there were all these reports out Arizona of LA. State lost. Bad Arizona State. Yes, they, they lost to Arizona State. And there are all these reports out of L.A. 
that maybe there's a separation coming between Chip Kelly and UCLA. And then they beat USC and it all dies down. Then they get shelled by a cow, but it doesn't come back. So then they win the bowl game. Yeah. And it's like, all right, we survived. And in hindsight, they should have fired him. Because now when you look at everything, it has been a – you referenced the column I wrote. It's been – they should have fired Chip Kelly because he clearly wants out of Westwood. And now the Bruins are in a complete lose-lose situation. They're in a union with a coach who doesn't want to be there, but their top two targets are off the board. Jed Fish and Jonathan Smith have now taken jobs elsewhere. Those would have been easily their top two targets. Dante Moore, your five-star quarterback, is now at Oregon. You yep. just lost your defensive coordinator who completely turned around your unit. Uh, you had one of the best defenses in the country this past season. He's now working he's, for your He's across town. town. Yep. So it's just – it's been a disastrous season. So whether Chip stays or goes, uh, they're in a tough spot. So Adam Schefter reports eight minutes ago that the commanders are hiring Cliff Kingsbury indeed. So he's in. He's in with the commanders now. Caleb so the Williams? Raiders job still open. What's that? They're gonna make a play for. They're gonna make a play for Caleb. You think? I would think so, but you know that that would depend on what the Bears are going to do. Are the Bears going to keep Justin Fields, trade the pick, or are they going to take Caleb? Because Caleb Williams is the number one pick. Like I was at the Senior Bowl last week, talking to people, watching the other quarterbacks, thinking very hard about Drake May and Jaden Daniels. Caleb Williams is the number one pick. There is not anybody else. He's the number one pick. So. Maybe maybe the commanders try to trade with the Bears and just swap to get Caleb because maybe the Bears aren't sure what they want to do. Fascinating. They'll, that, that'll be another plenty of meat, meat on that bone. But the chip conversation continues because, like, he got a commitment from a recruit today. Like, he's still working at UCLA. And, but it sure, it, it, it we've talked about the argument of, are these rules, are the situation, the, the situation in college football chasing coaches to the NFL? In some cases, yes. In some cases, no. Like Liam Cohen was going to go back for the first play calling NFL OC job he could get. And so he did. He left Kentucky. You know, we talked to Nick Roush about it on Thursday night, Friday morning. It, it happens. And Liam Cohen goes to the Bucks because it's a play calling NFL OC job, which is what he wanted. But Jeff Halfley leaving Boston College to be the Green Bay Packers defensive coordinator probably had a lot to do with the rules. And if Chip is going to be an NFL OC, it absolutely has to do with all the stuff going on in college football because he's made it very clear he doesn't like it. Yes, but but it also is more nuanced than – because I wrote a column on this as well. It's also more nuanced than suddenly that college football is losing all these coaches – to the NFL just because uh, of what's happening within the sport. That absolutely has some veracity to it. But Jeff Halfley also was looking to reset his clock. I mean, he was, you know, on the hot seat a year ago. Because he, he might have gotten college. fired with a five and seven season. Yeah, yeah. And, and so he look, he's looking to reset his clock. You look at who else has gone from college to the NFL this cycle. They all have NFL ties. Jesse Minter came from the league. Obviously, mm-hmm. Harbaugh's going back. Uh, Halfley, uh, you know, worked at multiple NFL jobs before becoming Ohio State. Before he was at Ohio State, yeah. So, uh, 
But so what do you what do you do? I mean, Martin Jarman, I think, is 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 stuck at this point because he had a chance to do something with Chip. It, I, I don't think you do you don't do anything with Chip now. You just let him ride it out unless he unless he gets a job. Now I thought maybe he might go for BC because it's a little bit different job than UCLA and it is home. You know, he's from New England, it's home for him. But that certainly seems like Bill O'Brien is is probably the the most most likely candidate at this point. We we don't know yet. Nothing's nothing's set in stone. But yeah, I, I do want to open up the Ohio ch- State. Right, right. Would open up the Ohio State OC job where Ryan Day, who used to work with Chip Kelly, played played for Chip Kelly at New Hampshire. Like I right. right. Would that be a situation? Because I, I saw the Iowa report. I didn't know what to think of that. Like that's not Same one that I've heard fit. verified independently or anything like that. So I saw that, but you know, would Chip take a college OC job? I don't know. I just unless he just feels like he's got to get out of there. Yeah, that has Mike McDonald. Does he have a uh, Does he have an offensive coordinator target with? Well, uh, he was he was a, he was allegedly yet? looking at Ryan Grubb, but it seems like that's calmed down right. right now. This is this is for the Seahawks, right? And Ryan Grubb just, is is. Ryan Grubb is is the Alabama offense coordinator who came with Kalen DeBoer from Washington. So, but don't you think UCLA's a, brass has got to be kicking themselves that because you know Chip has been frustrated uh, again, like you said. I mean, he has never been shy about voicing uh, his opinions. You know, he he went viral. You know, was it just like six weeks ago during their bowl game talking about you know how what what his vision for the future of the sport would look like and how football should be separate than every other sport and they would maintain the conferences with volleyball and baseball and basketball oh no, well, yeah what and, and what he laid out was really smart like what he laid right. out i hope they listened to him i think he yeah. had some good ideas but no i agree but it doesn't sound like he wants to be a part of it right now so no. and and that's that's the hard part if you're UCLA paying him all this money like you want somebody who's all in. So that's that's a frustrating situation. Let's let's talk before I let you go. I want to talk about the situation in Columbus because if Bill O'Brien does indeed wind up becoming Boston College's head coach, what do you do if you're Ryan Day because you you made a a conscious decision. I'm giving up play calling. I am hiring this extremely experienced play caller to handle game planning play calling for me so I can concentrate on the other CEO duties that I need to concentrate on. What do you do if that guy leaves? Because it's not like, I mean, you're Ohio state, so you, you can command a lot of different people's attention, but are you going to find what you're comfortable with now? Yeah. And you know, he, I, I think day made a very conscientious decision to bring in someone that had, you know, not only Bill O'Brien's experience, but that he, you know, was another guy that had been a head coach before. And I think someone that, you know, he could lean on a little bit. Uh, and so that there's only going to be so many of those types of folks well, out on the market. We, we mentioned Jason Candle. We mentioned the Toledo Jason coach. Candle. And that is, you know, and, and we have now seen Visa Alabama, O'Brien's former employer, you know, a couple of head coaches at G5 schools mm-hmm. give up their head coaching responsibilities, Kane Womack and Mo Linquist, 
to become coordinators at the Power Five level. Jason Candle was a rumored target of Mario Cristobal uh, before he hired John and, and also his original staff. Also, possibly in the mix for the head coaching job at Boston College himself. So, like that, this is this is what we're going to have to wait on. We we've got to wait until. Boston College makes a decision before we go too much farther. Al Washington would be another name uh, that we considered they, there. That, he played there, right? Yes, yes. But Bill O'Brien, you know, and, and this has been pointed out, his family situation, he has a, a special needs child who the, the care that he's received in Boston apparently has been very good. And so it would be very helpful to not have to move him. And so that's... That's the other piece of it too. I mean, the pe- people always forget with these coaching moves, there are sometimes that family considerations. Yeah, yeah. So I just, I, I think, I think what happens there is, is really interesting because I don't think that decision was easy for Ryan Day. I don't think you give, giving up that level of control, giving up the thing that, that kind of got you there. And we've talked about it on this show. Like it worked for Eli Drinkwitz. It didn't work for Gus Malzahn because he's apparently going back to play calling now. Like he he's flip flopped on that a million times now. And you know, I Mike Norvell needs to call plays. He's better as a play caller. Like it, it's a strange situation. And I'll, I imagine I'll do you one. You, I'll do, I got you oh, one more. I, I have mm-hmm. I have a column coming out or a, a feature coming out later this week. I got to finish it. But uh, Rhett Lashley. Yes. Another guy who has kind of been through this yo-yo. I sat down with him for a long time in Nashville. He's a guy who feels like he needs to call plays. That yeah. that, that is part of his value. And so, what makes him special? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and it, so it's it, so it had to be hard for Ryan Day to make that decision. And so if it, it just because of crazy circumstance, which think about this. Jeff Hathley and Ryan Day came to Ohio State about the same time on Urban Meyer's staff. And it's Jeff Hathley's move that could wind up doing this. Precipitating this. Yeah. Yeah. And, so and, it, and it like is, you said, they're, they're, they're not going to have a shortage of, of candidates. It's Ohio State. It's much like Kentucky, although in an even better spot, obviously, because it's Ohio State. But Mark Stoops is going to be able to hire somebody good. Ryan Day is in a more unique position because he is giving up play calling. Uh, and looking for someone that he trusts to kind of bridge his vision with the overall program. The the tough part is just timing. You know, it's yeah. it's these we're, we're weeks away from spring practice, uh, and and it's just it's the the timing is ill for, for kind of everybody in the market for such a premier position like offensive coordinator right now. Yeah, it's it is going to be very strange if O'Brien takes that job because Ryan day will have to one, make the decision. Like, do I, do I still follow through with this plan is the right person out there? Or do I go back to what we were doing before? That's, that's the tricky part. And I guess we're going to see what happens, but Jesse, it, uh, it's been a pleasure. We're going to, we're going to bring you back here in the next few days because man, the, the sec and the big 10, they got their hands on the wheel now. They're making moves. The 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 actual alliance, the the alliance that will actually work. <laughs> They'll actually do something.
Oh my God. Well, we'll find out what happens. Jesse, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man. All right. So a lot going on in the world of college football. We got to start getting us ourselves ready for college basketball. Like we're going to be doing a little bracketology stuff here in the next couple of weeks. It is February now. That means March is not far away. And there was a big weekend for college hoops this weekend. You had North Carolina beating Duke. Big, big game from Armando Baycott where it did feel kind of like North Carolina was was the men and, and Duke, they're the you know younger guys or the boys. And uh, it, it's kind of a kind of where college basketball is right now because you can you can be a very old like power conference team now. For a long time, you had to be young if you were a big money school because you had to get the one and done guys. But now there's so many different ways to win. And so North Carolina looking great this year. You know, we had oh, had our questions. Hubert Davis takes in the national title game. Then they 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 flop and now they look like a national title contender again. It's it is it's pretty amazing, but they've done a good job in the transfer portal. They've done a good job cultivating that roster. And so big win for them. Huge win for Kansas. You know, Houston's intro to, to the Big 12 has been pretty fun to watch because Houston is a great team, can completely blow you out on the right night. But Houston went into Fog Allen and got demolished by Kansas. And that's that's what happens. Like, you can be great, but you can go on the road in February and just get crushed. So I can't wait to see what happens in the Big 12. You know, Big Monday is, is starting in earnest now. It, it took a while because you had the – Super Wild Card Weekend, where there's an NFL playoff game on Monday night a couple weeks ago, but like tomorrow night, Monday night, Kansas at K State in the Octagon of Doom. So two days after you just blew out Houston, you got to go on the road to your rival. Like that's that's where these things get tricky. That's where these things get tricky. So also, we had Nick Roush on the other day. So he, he Kentucky field folks are just down bad in general. Nick, I think Nick summed up how big blue nation feels Thursday night when he came on and he was, he was in his feelings and, and rightfully so because they were about to lose their offensive coordinator and, and he knew it. And then the Wildcats had just lost to Florida on, it was a game they should have won. Let's, let's be real here. They should have won that game. Tennessee comes in there and just Molly whoops them in Rupp arena First time the, the Wildcats had given up 100 points in Rupp Arena since 1993. So DJ Wagner needs to come back. When, when they get him back, they're a different team. But college basketball is getting fun. Fun, fun, fun. By the way, in the women's game, Caitlin Clark, some point probably in the next three games, is going to break Kelsey Plum's all-time Division I scoring record. She was, Caitlin Clark was awesome against Maryland. She's pulling up from the logo over and over and had 12 assists in that game. So it's getting fun in college hoops. We're going to be talking a little more about that because this is a football show. But let's be real here. The NCAA tournament is one of the greatest events in American sports. It's so much fun. The bracket is so much fun. We got to be ready for that. We can't just come in unaware. We have to be ready. All right. But we do need to get back to football. Last week, I was at the Senior Bowl, talked to a bunch of the guys. The game was on Saturday. And turned out, I talked to the MVP. 
Spencer Rattler only played two series, the former South Carolina and Oklahoma quarterback, and he was spectacular in those two series. So this is one that it felt like he had the highest ceiling of like who could go to the senior bowl and, and help themselves the most. I think Michael Penix helped himself. I think Bo Nix helped himself, but Penix didn't play in the game because I think he felt like he'd done pretty well at practice, but Spencer Rattler had a good week. And in terms of arm talent, there aren't many guys in the draft other than Caleb Williams who have that level of arm talent, Jaden Daniels probably, but it's, it puts Spencer Rattler in an interesting spot because I think there are going to be a, some teams that look at him and say, there's big upside here. Now, does that mean he's going to play his way in the first, first round? I don't know. He's, they're, they're also question marks. But when he can go there and show that with that level of competition, it's certainly helpful. So here is Spencer Rattler. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. South Carolina quarterback Spencer Rattler. I, I love this Gamecock on the hat. Where is this? This is Spencer Rattler NIL special. Is this? Is this something South Carolina has? Uh, this is more South Carolina. Uh, actually, Connor Shaw's company. Uh, oh, very Gamecock nice. Supply. So he has awesome gear. So do all these South Carolina quarterbacks stick together? Connor Shaw. I know Todd Ellis is always around. Is it no, no Mike Holt sightings or anything like that. But yeah, no. I mean, all, all the guys that have played uh, Connor Shaw, he's always around. Yeah. Um, Todd Ellis. Um, a lot of the guys, so uh, it's cool to be around them. What was what was that like? I mean, that that obviously when you were in high school, you're a huge recruit. You're going to Oklahoma. Everything seems set. The if someone told you you're going to go to South Carolina for two years and you're going to love it, what, what would you have said? I would have said you're crazy. Yeah. You know, I never never thought South Carolina was was any idea coming out of high school, but. Yeah. Um, as you grow, as you know, opportunities arise, as you go through adversity, that was something that popped up and it was a, it was a great move for me. What, what did you learn from, from that experience from transferring, from starting over from two different offenses there? Uh, I just learned, you know, how to uh, acclimate into new systems, how to acclimate with new teammates and a new environment, everything new, um, you know, all the way out there on the East coast. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I had to gain trust and respect for my teammates and learn how to do that. So when, when now you're trying to, talk to these NFL coaches they're telling you okay here's here's this play you got to repeat it you got to redraw it how much does it help that you've now been through several offensive systems it helps a ton um, a lot of the stuff we're doing up here right now um, isn't foreign to me um, we, we've worked a lot of this stuff and I'm very familiar with a lot of it so uh, it kind of helps me you know be be ahead of the curve which is good what's it like being out there you know at these practices getting a chance to show them live what you can do because it's, it's one thing to do it at the combine but to actually do it in a practice setting probably gives you a little better chance to show them what you're actually like on a day-to-day -day basis no doubt um you know it's it's awesome to be out here with all the best guys in the country i mean this is the best you're going to get out here um, no matter what the conference is um you know they say this is where the the path to the draft starts this is where the everything starts so 
Um, that's serious. Uh, a lot of big time coaches, GMs, everybody out there. So uh, it's a blessing to be out here. I'm just going to work my tail off every day and try to play clean ball. So let's going back to your college career. What what is your favorite memory at South Carolina? If you could pinpoint one, what's that moment that you'd like to just bottle? Uh, definitely uh, 2022 season, the Tennessee uh, win, and then beating Clemson. Yeah, you know, that next week it was special. What was that week? Because we've that was we talked about that all off season where it just seemed like everything finally clicks in that Tennessee game, and then it rolls into the Clemson game. Yeah, we just started playing to our our strengths um we had a lot of weapons i mean i I felt like we had one of the best rosters in the country we just uh had to use it properly and you know starting that tennessee week we got the ball in our playmakers hands and pushed the ball down the field and just had fun what does it feel like when you're in a game like that that tennessee game for example where everything's clicking where it's finally all working when you you know when you get the call from the sideline is it just like this is this is absolutely going to work every time yeah, you never know if it's going to work every time, but you have a, a high confidence that it will. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, everything was clicking that game. And, you know, obviously it was a home game for us. We got a great environment at Willie B. And, yeah, we were just hitting hitting on all cylinders, and that was a fun night. I, I saw you got asked what, what advice you would have given your 17-year-old self, and, and you said to, to be humble. But how hard is that when you are put on a reality TV show? You are, you know, you have cameras following you around in high school. How, how hard is it to be humble when – you have that, the recruiting, everything else. Yeah, no, I mean, I've always been a uh, humble but confident kid. Um, you know, I, I would just say keep working hard to my younger self. Uh, never expect anything to be given to you. And, yeah, you know, keep keep a level head through everything, success how, and adversity. How did you deal with that? Like when, when everything was happening at Oklahoma, people can be really nasty. Like how do, you, how do you – do you turn off social media? Do you just go somewhere? How, how do you handle when – when that comes, I mean, it's it's part of the game, especially as a quarterback. I mean, I'm not the first guy to go through it, um, so I'm blessed to be able to go through it earlier in my career because um, you know that happens in the NFL a lot. So I'm ready for whatever. So what what can you show NFL teams right now these next few months? What what do you plan to show them? I can show them I'm I'm one of the best quarterbacks in this draft. Um, I can make every throw on the field. I'm a quick processor, fast learner. Um, can understand multiple offensive systems and. Uh, I can get it done. So that's what I want to show throughout these next few months. That one experience out there yesterday, first practice, first few throws, you feel feel good, feel like you're, yourself? Felt great. You know, uh, other than the balls not being broken in enough, <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're rolling, and it was a fun day one. Well, it'll be broken in today. So, that's Spencer, awesome. appreciate it. Thank, yes, you. Thank you. Thank you. And they were really broken in by the time the game started. Because, like I said, he was dealing on Saturday. So, I, I was thinking about this. Other than Michael Pratt at Tulane, the, the, most of the quarterbacks that were there senior bowl week had played for two different teams. You had, you had Michael Penix, Indiana, and, and Washington. You had Bo Nix, Auburn, and Oregon. Spencer Rattler, Oklahoma, South Carolina. The next two guys that you're going to hear from, also, same situation. Sam Hartman, Wake Forest, and Notre Dame. And obviously went to Notre Dame to show what he could do in a little bit different environment, different offense, and came away with a, a pretty good year and one incredible story about a marshmallow. Now by Notre Dame, Wake Forest, what quarterback happened? Sam Hart. You were in college a long time, Sam. That's what people are telling me. <laughs> Is it weird that it's finally, finally done? I don't think it's hit me because I'm still kind of in the uh, Notre Dame helmet and still around college guys. And 
Um, but you know, when you're getting coached by these, these, these kind of individuals and these, um, you know, in this environment, yeah. at the senior bowl, you start realizing, and also you start realizing the guys around you are getting, everybody's getting faster. Everybody's, you know, unbelievably savvy players. So it, it's starting to click how, how fast the game's going. Well, that, that's what I was wondering. Cause I was thinking about your career and most guys who stay at, at the same place, as long as you did at Wake Forest, their coaches move around. They go through different offensive schemes or different defensive schemes. You played in the same scheme the whole time, and it took going to another school to to play in a different scheme. Yeah, no, for sure. It was. Um, it, I was really blessed with Wake. I, I grew so much there and learned so much from um, just an unbelievable coaching staff, starting with Coach Clawson. Um, you know, he taught me so much, so many lessons, so many things that I learned from him as a man and as a, as a coach. Um, and then and then Coach Coach R was there for me the whole time. I think that was something that. Um, probably gets overlooked in this whole process because people see it as, oh, he left to go to a better offense. It wasn't to go to a better offense. It was just a different offense. Right? Yeah. I mean, it was more pro style. And But, I mean, all the success, the reason I got to Notre Dame, the reason I'm here is because of them and because of Coach R and his stuff. What did what did you take from, from the Notre Dame experience? Was it, was it what what you thought it was going to be? Um, it was it was surreal, to be honest. Uh, it, it changed my life for sure. I mean, that, that fan base, that organization, the, the culture and the legacy of this, you know, that entire place. Yeah. It feels like you're in a movie every time you step foot on campus. And, um, you know, I learned how to handle a lot more um, off the field, I would say, and uh, the pressures that come with being the Notre Dame quarterback. And and it's something that's special and, and something I'll always cherish. What, what, what is that like in, in the good ways and in the bad? What, what is it like to be the Notre Dame quarterback? I don't know if there's ever bad. I think yeah. when you, you say Notre Dame quarterback, that has a – pretty pretty heavy weight behind it and um it, it was it was really cool you know you get around campus and and everybody kind of knows you know who you are what you're doing and you know there's some pressure to that but I think that's a part of of why I wanted to do it I think if you asked me when I was 12 hey you want to be the quarterback in the game heck yeah if you ask me when I'm 40 if I want to be the Notre Dame quarterback I'd probably say heck yeah. <laughs> yeah so I don't think there's a lot any any anybody in the world in their right mind that would say no to that kind of opportunity and 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 the, the perks that come with it and also the pressure but that, that's why you play the position so the best throw at Notre Dame was it one you made or was it the marshmallow uh I would say the marshmallow for sure that was an unreal so t- um, tell tell the folks what happened here all right, so a big tradition, senior night uh, at Notre Dame is people throw marshmallows on the field. Don't know why, don't know how, right? And people are laughing, listening. So you got to hear this story. <laughs> and so we're on the sideline. We got hot chocolate. It's a cold game. I'm walking. The game, I'm like out of the game. We're winning. And from, I would say, 30 yards up, like uh, probably row 40, a girl launches one. And I'm walking it, land. I'm moving at the same time it lands in my. So she led you. She she led the receiver, dunked she it in threw, my cup. She threw your hot chocolate open. Yeah, she threw me open across the sideline. And uh, obviously, the only thing you can do is chug your hot chocolate after that. Um, and that got the crowd pretty fired up. But it was it was cool. I I I think I I I've met her before at something else. But it was uh they were pretty fired. Have up you told the that. scouts about her? Uh, no, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to make, yeah, you don't want her, yeah. you don't want her go, going higher and drafting everybody yeah, exactly. else. So, well, all right, you were in college for a long time. A lot changed in, in college football with NIL coming in. What, how did that change day-to-day life in college football for you? It didn't really change anything. I mean, it's still the game. Um, you know, I know you, you probably hear horror stories or things about guys at, you know, 
living differently and acting differently. I'm sure it's some in some places, but um, I think the great thing about both Wake and Notre Dame was that we the coaches in the in the locker room especially kept the game still yeah. pure. There wasn't talks of money and talks of you know how much you're making and how much you're doing. It, it was all about the game and. It's a great perk and it's a great part that, you know, you can help like we're learning here, you know, plan mm -hmm. for your future and start earning and, and earning equity and, and investing and whatnot. But, um, you know, it's still football and I hope it I hope it tries to stay as much as it can because college football is a special place and, um, you know, that it's pure there and, and as much as it can trying to keep it pure well and that's what with with, with your locker room because that's what everybody was worried about is what it, it tear locker rooms apart it did you said that you didn't hear about it much in there no it wasn't that was and that was the whole thing as leaders in the in the locker room and at wake and at notre dame was like guys this is this is the, the only way to this falls apart is people start pocket watching and start start you know wondering why is this guy making this and i'm making that mm -hmm. and it, it happens naturally but if it's something that's you know in the dark corners who cares that's that's life but um as soon as it becomes the main focus and then football is not and, and that's when you struggle so as you turn your focus to to the nfl how prepared do you feel for for this process um i feel incredibly prepared it's a it's a cool experience i mean everything comes and and they call it drinking out of a fire hose right now and um you know it's just the ability playing for so long and, and and doing this for as long as I have is, uh, you know, the ability to want to do that and then also be able to step back and kind of take a deep breath and um, rely on the people you're closest to and, and roll with the punches. Like, I mean, I practiced yesterday, started out, you know, rough for me with the one-on-one -on -one reps and wasn't throwing it great. And, you know, you try and get out on the team and make some plays and that's, that's how it goes. You know, yeah. it's all, it's not always going to be, you know, perfect throw, perfect play, perfect call. And you just got to roll with it. And when you get thrown together with guys you haven't played with before, how, how quick does the connection come with the receivers? I mean, these guys are really good. You know, it, it's cool. You, they kind of make you look good a lot of the time. So it's, you know, it's a hats off to these guys. I mean, they, they're unbelievable. So if you, you could go back and, and talk to, to 16, 17 year old Sam, what would you tell him to expect? Uh, hold on. It's going to be a bumpy ride. <laughs> All right. Sam, appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate you. That's Sam Hartman. I know it, it, it was bumpy at times, but he had a really good career. And, you, and, and interesting, you know, because I think people look at what has been said about Sam and, and you know, what Dave Clawson has said about the situation where he went to, to Notre Dame and think there's, there's animosity there. There's, there's really not between Sam and, and Dave Clawson or Dave Clawson and Sam. And uh, I, I thought it was really nice to mention him, Warren Ruggiero, the, the offensive coordinator at Wake Forest, and the offense he played in that, that helped him become a big enough name to be wanted by Notre Dame for his last season. One more. A guy who started at Michigan, played with a lot of the guys who just won the national title, and then finished up his career at Tennessee, Joe Milton, the guy who... Handed things off to Nico. Here's Joe. Joined by Joe Milton, Tennessee on? Vols. What's up, Joe? I'm doing great. How you doing? I'm doing good. So how how has your experience been at the Senior Bowl, meeting all these NFL coaches, getting coached by NFL coaches? What is it? Is it different than than in college? Uh, no. I mean, I've been to Michigan before. Yeah. There was a ton of NFL coaches. Oh man, just got to take every day of uh, how you uh, would in life. Um, approach it the same way. Um, you know, they're not good. They're not trying to, you know, bash you in the ground. Um, they just want to see how good you want to uh, take coaching. Um, so 
you you go through Jim Harbaugh practices in Michigan. Is it pretty similar to what you what you've seen so far here? Yeah, walkthroughs, one on ones, seven on seven, uh, and just the whole nine, just calling the plays, um, make sure the huddles addressed correctly, um, just getting guys going. What was it like watching you know some of your former teammates on that Michigan team that won national title? What was it like watching them? It was good, man. I was happy for those guys. Um, if it was anybody else, man, you know, I would have felt the type of way. But for those guys to win that, man, I was excited. So for you, the the season at Tennessee, you, you had to wait to get to that point. What was it? Do you feel like you, you got everything out of the, the Tennessee experience that you wanted? Um, absolutely. Um, we didn't get, accomplish things that we want to accomplish. But, I mean, in life, man, that's what's going to happen. And you just got to be able to roll with it. Uh, sometimes you got to take blows, man. And, you know, you got to be able to swing back when uh, life presents itself. So what was what was your favorite memory at Tennessee as Tennessee's quarterback? Favorite memory? I have a lot of them. Um, the biggest one is uh, being my biggest rival, Alabama. Um, that was a long night. <laughs> uh, uh, man, we've seen the field goal post uh, by our apartment, and that's way downtown. So, man, that was probably one of the. And you're like, how did these people get it down here? Man, it was it was a whole bunch of people carrying it. Man, it was like a parade. The the moving from one quarterback, like from Hendon to you to Nico, mm-hmm. how much have you guys tried to like? Did, did Hendon help you, and did you help Nico? Um, uh, man, Hendon was a one-two punch. We helped each other, yeah. and then me helping Nico was just taking him under my wing, get him to understand what was going on. Um, he's a smart kid, very yeah. talented, uh, you know, so just getting him to understand, like, you know, mistakes are going to happen. Um, you're coming from high school, so you didn't really have to face adversity as much. Um, so, you know, being the, the number one quarterback in the country, coming to college, had a wait a year, um, you know, just being able to just ask me whatever you want to ask me um, and me willing to, you know, take out, take out my time of the day and help him out. How excited were you for that bowl game performance from him? I mean, it looked like he, he he's ready to get it, ready to oh, go. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He's been ready to go, man. <laughs> uh, you know, I made sure that um, every game, you know, because you never know what could happen. Um, that's how you always got to treat it as a, uh, the number two quarterback. So what advice would you get? Because you had that amazing Orange Bowl, mm-hmm. and then and then you get in the offseason, it's just hype, 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 hype. How do you how do you deal with that? Man, I don't care about social media. Yeah. Folks gonna talk uh whether you do good or bad, man. That's part of life. Um, and you just gotta be able to brush it off, not look at it. Uh, I mean, obviously you're gonna see it when you have social media, but at the same time, you know, people gonna talk. Uh that's part of the job. Gotta learn how to block it out. Very Absolutely. nice. I'm gonna I'm gonna work on that. Joe, Perfect. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank, Thank you very you. much. And it's probably good that Joe can do that because uh he he got Got ripped pretty good after the senior bowl. He had a couple of interceptions. He, he was nine of 13, but unfortunately, two picks, including one in the end zone. And uh, Pro Football Focus sent a tweet of that, that play and said, The Joe Milton experience. And, and Shador Sanders, the Colorado quarterback, jumped in and said, I thought you're supposed to be showcasing athletes, not tearing them down. But you just saw Joe. I don't know, he's not worried about that. He didn't see that. So. Uh, we will see what Joe Milton can do. Obviously, tremendous physical gifts, but will he wind up being an NFL quarterback? We'll find out. But he will probably be best known in Tennessee lore as the bridge between Hinton Hooker and Nico Yamamelava. Not a bad place to be. Not a bad place to be here with you guys tonight. It was so much fun. We had so much to talk about. And what's going on with the SEC and the Big Ten is going to be the overarching thing. And I know you guys sometimes get tired of the 
the legislative governance type stuff. And we're, we're going to try to keep this as football focused as humanly possible. But these are some big, big changes that are coming down the pipe. And when the two biggies say, you know what? We don't think you, you guys over here are serious enough. We're taking over. It means there's some stuff coming down the pipe pretty fast. So we'll talk about that. Plus, the second signing day is Wednesday. Not a ton out there, but it means the coaches are off the road. We're going to start having more coaches on the show. So give me some requests. Who do you want, who do you want to talk to? Hit me up. You know where to find me. I'm on Twitter, Andy underscore Staples. Instagram, Andy underscore Staples. And also, programming note to get yourselves ready. So we've enjoyed coming to you on the evenings, but we've been talking about it. We think might be able to reach a bigger audience, might be able to, to be more in the in the mix with, with things that are going on if we do this in the mornings. So starting next week, a week from Monday, so on the day after the Super Bowl, February 12th, will be 8 a.m. Eastern time. And if you listen in podcast form, then the podcast will go up immediately after the show. So if it was your morning commute, listen it might need to become your afternoon commute listen, unless you're on the West Coast and it can still, by all means, be your morning commute listen. So hope that's okay with everybody. I think you're going to like it better. I think it's going to allow us to be fresher, more current, and, and keep this thing rolling. And who knows? It, you know, I've never been the biggest morning person, so maybe I become a morning person. We'll see. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll talk to you tomorrow. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.